you all pray for me. Because <laughs> I obviously need it. So uh, we want to we want to talk this morning for just a little while. Yes. Amen. Amen. Appreciate this. Anyone else, anything on your heart this morning before we proceed any further? Well, certainly whenever we want to thank the Lord for the salvation of our soul, we need to do it, don't we? Praise, honor, and glorify God at all times. That's what we're here to do. Uh, when you come to worship God, it means you come to praise the Lord. And, uh, and that's what we should do. So we'll give a, another call. Any, anything at all be on anyone's heart before we proceed. That'll actually go real, really well with the, the thought that's on our, on our, that, that's before us this morning. And, uh, the thought that we have before us is, uh, the conqueror of death. Jesus is the conqueror of death. And so we're going to start with our, uh, in the 25th chapter of Isaiah, in the eighth in the eighth verse of that chapter, and the prophet Isaiah, under inspiration of the Spirit, I might add, 
says in the 8th verse of the 25th chapter, he will swallow up death in victory. And the God and God and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And you know, we look at Jesus and the relationship that Jesus had with death. And we all have a relationship with death, don't we? Every one of us that's when we're born. Uh, we, we are proceeding for the day when we have that infant. Well, that introduction with death, we actually have at various times throughout the course of our life. But we from the day that we're born, we start down a road or it'll culminate in death, won't it? And, and for far too uh, and, and for far too many times, you know, we we kind of avoid the topic of of death in the Lord's house, but it's certain and sure, isn't it? It's not some kind of fantasy. We're all going to experience it. We'll all go. We'll go the way of all mankind. We'll all taste death. And you say, well, not everybody will taste death, and we're going to touch on that. But yes, they will. And it's just it may be a different flavor of death, but they're all going to taste death. But when you look at Christ, and, and Christ had a relationship with death um, from, you know, from his inception into the world, from, from, his, uh, from his, obviously, his, uh, uh, his, uh, uh, his being uh, placed in Mary's womb, <clears throat> being born in a manger, and, uh, and then his, uh, his childhood, right up until uh, he became of age and he began his ministry. But Jesus spoke of death, and he spoke of it often. And uh, and actually, Jesus did something that none of us really have the power to do. Jesus actually defied death, didn't he? And he did that in the 10th chapter of John, in the 17th and the 18th verse. And Jesus, uh, it says this, it says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, not that I might, uh, that I might take it again. Right? Jesus says, that because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. And he goes on and he expounds about that, and he says, no man taketh it from me. When Jesus was born into the world, he was God incarnate, and if he did not want to go to the cross of Calvary, he did not have to. He chose to, didn't he? That's what separates Christianity from the other religions that are in the world especially the pagan religions, because when their deities would manifest themselves, when you read their folklore, when they would manifest themselves in the world amongst men, they did it to work maliciousness, didn't they? But the true and the living God being manifest in the world one time, he did it to work righteousness toward mankind, didn't he? He was born to die. But that death was a choice that he made. In eternity, he stood as a lamb slain. That's what the Bible says. And it says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And then he says this. He says, I have the power to, uh, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. And so he says, death, it has no hold on me, does it? Here he, Jesus is, is alive. He hasn't gone to the cross yet, but he says death doesn't 
have a hold of me. Because God gave this commandment to me. This commandment have I received in my Father. And so Jesus said, I alone control when I die and how I die, the manner of death. And we, and, and we did a sermon a few weeks ago where Jesus invoked his own name and proved his authority that if he didn't want them to take him there that night on uh, at the Mount of Olives, if he did not want them to take him to uh, where he would eventually die, then he could have very easily stopped it. And even then, uh, he being the, the, the prince of angels or the king of the angels, he said, he made the statement, he said, I could summon 12 legions of angels and they could presently deliver me from thee. But nevertheless, he submitted himself to death, didn't he? He submitted himself to death. Paul wrote that to the Corinthians in the first Corinthians chapter 15. He says, for I, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Amen. Christ had the power to lay it down and he had the power to take it up again. No other person that has ever lived has had that authority over death that Christ had. Is that it right? No one else has. He's the only one who was able to, uh, to obtain the victory over death. And, uh, and, and Paul writes on that in, in Romans chapter 1 in verses 3 and 4. Uh, and he says this, he says, concerning his son Jesus, uh, his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And he became the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, didn't he? Uh, and being resurrected from the dead, he, uh, he says in the book of Revelation, which is not the revelation of John, <laughs> It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, in the first chapter, in the 18th verse, he says that I alone, I and I alone hold the keys to hell and death. And so Jesus is the one who has the authority and the power over hell and death, isn't it? And so if you're here today and you think, well, I'm going to live a life where I'm going to escape death, uh, you're fooling yourself. There are those in the world today that think they're going to live a life where they're going to escape death through the merging of man and machine, through, through transhumanism, and that they're going to transplant their brain uh, into a robot and that they'll live forever vicariously, I assume, through that robot. But let me tell you uh, that we're not just basic matter, are we? We're not electrons firing in the brain. The life is not in the brain, is it? Life is in the blood, right? And that's why we know that, because Jesus poured out his life's blood at Calvary's cross that we might have everlasting life, right? Or life eternal. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you want to know the Lord, he's very near unto you, isn't he? Paul said that at Mars Hill. He said he's not very far from any one of you. But Jesus holds the keys to hell and death. 
And he demonstrated it, didn't he, while he was in the world. Now, I'm going to touch on that for just a minute. But now, when we generally think about that, we generally think about what uh, was written in the book of John, right? In the fifth chapter, in the 28th and the 29th verse, where it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. So you may be here today and you may think, well, I don't acknowledge Jesus as the Christ or as the Messiah. I don't acknowledge Jesus as God. Don't worry. There's coming a day where you will. You'll do it willingly or you will do it by force, won't you? And you say, well, geez, what kind of a God is that that would do it by force? Uh, it's a God that delivered his only begotten son so that you could avoid the fate that Satan and the angels have. Hell was not created for the habitation of man. Hell was created for the holding of Satan and the angels and uh, that followed after him, that rebelled against God in heaven. Uh, and so here he says, uh, there is a, the hour is coming which all the graves shall hear his voice. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Jesus is the conqueror of death. Uh, that we all agree. But we had an interesting conversation in Sunday school. I don't remember if it was last week. Maybe it was a couple weeks ago about iconography, iconography uh, or the use of icons or, or images. And uh, and so what he says here, he says, look at this 28th verse in John chapter 5. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. We read the Old Testament and we read about all the miraculous things that happened, but it was the voice of God that led his people, wasn't it? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and they that hear my voice are the sheep. And while Jesus is the conqueror of death, and we're going to tie that back in, we're going to have a little side session here talking about how we get there. We're going to get there by the voice of God, isn't it? In the 28th verse here, he says, All that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Now, we have three examples of this happening while Jesus was in the world, don't we? I'm going to touch on the first one here in Matthew. In Matthew, he goes and there is a, a little girl in a ruler's house that is, that is sick, dying. And, uh, and Jesus gets up and, uh, and she goes. Or, and he goes there. And there she is. And she's, she's already dead. Jesus enters in the house. And this is in Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to do verses 24 through 26. And Jesus says to them that are in the house, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And so Jesus raised this maid from the dead, didn't she? Now, we have another example of Jesus doing that in the scriptures while he was alive. Uh, and that is uh, uh, over in uh, Luke chapter 7. Uh, in Luke chapter 7, there's a widow and her only son has died. 
And the Lord sees her in her grief and he has compassion on her. And he looks at her and he says, weep not. Well, when a child of God dies, there's not much reason to weep, is there? And you say, well, sure there is, because they died. But if the child of God dies, they, they've not died. They've just relocated. But nevertheless here, this woman, her only son has died. She's a widow. And so what, what, what state is she in, in the society that she lived in? She would have been in a state of helplessness, wouldn't she? She would have been voiceless in the society that they lived in back then. But here, what does Jesus do? He looks at her and he has compassion on her. And he says to, and he says to this woman, weep not. And, and that's kind of contrary to what we would think of today, wouldn't it? Uh, because here this woman is, uh, she's lost her only son and Jesus looks at her and says, weep not. That's like when he showed up at the tomb of Lazarus. And we'll touch on that in just a minute. Uh, but Martha comes to him and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And even Mary looked at him and said, Lord, if you hadn't have, would have been here, then, uh, then Lazarus wouldn't have died. But if we remember what Jesus said uh, before that to the disciples, he said it, he was glad for their sakes that he had died. Jesus had a very different view of death, didn't he, than most of us did. And the reason for that is because Jesus conquered death, didn't he? And he had the power over death that nobody could realize. Remember, that was the commandment that he had received from his father, right? He had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it up again. That just didn't just extend to himself. That was over everything, wasn't it? And everybody. Remember, it's at his voice will all that are in the grave rise. At the sound of his voice. And so Jesus goes into where this young man's laying here in Luke 7, and it says that he touched the beer. Uh, another way for us to look uh, to consider that would be like he goes in to base, basically uh, the viewing, uh, and he touches the casket or he touches the the couch that they would have had him laid out on on display. Uh, and he goes in and he touches that, uh, and uh, and they that uh, bear him stood still. And what does Jesus do next? He says to this young man laying there, uh, lifeless. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. Jesus didn't ask him to rise, did he? <laughs> he said, hey, if you feel like raising up out of that casket, why don't you just raise up? No, he said, young man, I say unto thee. Let me say that another way. Young man, I command thee to rise. And he rose. <laughs> he didn't have an option, did he? God commanded him to rise and he rose. Luke says, and he began to, and he, and, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak and he was, and he delivered him unto his mother. And don't you know that that morning that the mother was experiencing was turned to, to joy, wasn't it? 
Oh, there's a day of joy coming. It's off in the distance, isn't it? We can see it. We can understand it. Those of us that live by faith can see that day of joy coming. We don't know the day or the hour that it's coming, but it's coming, isn't it? Paul wrote about it. When the dead in Christ rise and are changed, sowed a natural body, raised a spiritual body, sowed in corruption, raised in incorruption. What a day that will be. <laughs> Whom my Jesus I shall see, and I look upon his face, who saved me by his grace. And raise me by his power. <laughs> raise me by his power. And so he says to this young man, arise. We already touched about Lazarus, about how when Lazarus had been in the tomb for, uh, for he, it was the fourth day. Uh, and, they, and they said, Lord, it's the fourth day and he stinketh. Jesus has the power over all death, doesn't he? And over all corruption. What does he do when he's there, when he raises Lazarus? He stands before the tomb and first and foremost he asks them to roll away the stone. He says, roll that stone away. And that's when they said, Lord, it's been four days and he stinketh. He wasn't dissuaded, was he, by their lack of faith. He said, roll that stone away. And Jesus stood before that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. That's a command, isn't it? That's not an option. Lazarus, come forth. And here comes Lazarus bound hand and foot with the napkin still over his face. You tell me we don't serve a mighty God. <laughs> There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, is there? And there's no other one that has ever lived in the history of the world who had the power over death the way Christ does. And at the voice of him, and at his voice, and at his commandment, then the dead will rise, won't they? And that's what he's demonstrated here. And you say, well, what about the little girl? Because in the case of the boy, he said, young man, I say to thee, arise. In the case of Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Well, you know what he did when he took that little girl's hand? <laughs> when he took that little girl's hand, Mark, Mark, Mark tells us about it. He said unto her, Talitha Kumai. Damsel, I say to thee, arise. Isn't that amazing? That three times, the scriptures record that three times, while Christ was living, before he went to the cross at Calvary, he had demonstrated his power over death, didn't it? Not just for himself, but his extreme power over death, now, he had the power to lay his life down and the power to raise it again. Yes, and that was done. And we know that was done. We already talked about that. 
But here he's demonstrated three times his power, the supreme power that he has over death. We ought not look at death faithlessly, should we? Because we know that one day that we'll hear the voice of the Lord and he will say, and he will not just say, he will command all that are in the graves, arise. And everyone that's in the grave will arise, won't they? Those that are his will be caught up into the air. They'll, they'll be changed when they rise. Those that are his that remain, they'll be caught up into the air. But before they do, remember I said everybody will taste death. And you say, well, Enoch didn't taste death. And you say, well, you may say, well, Elijah didn't taste death. Elijah and Enoch, not in that order, but Enoch and Elijah were translated. And those that remain when the Lord comes back will be caught up in the air. And you know what they'll experience? They'll be translated, won't they? And you know what translation is analogous to? Death. Remember, I said it'll be a different flavor of death, but it'll be analogous to death nonetheless. We'll all taste death, won't we? But because Christ is power over death, uh, we'll all rejoice in his coming, won't we? We'll all rejoice in his coming because we won't even remember death. It'll be a distant memory. It'll be a distant memory. Christ submitted himself to death. He has the power over death. And, and he's going to call everybody from death. And, and, uh, and that's what it said there in the 28th verse. That all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And listen to what he says in the 29th verse. And they shall come forth. And that that they have done good under the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. But God's made a way whereby you don't have to experience the resurrection of damnation, doesn't he? Because what did Christ command all men everywhere to do? Repent. And put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their soul. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. Instead, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does what? Imputes righteousness. And that's what you get when you get saved. You get the imputed righteousness of Christ accredited to you. And it abides on you. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees the imputed right. He sees a son, doesn't he? He sees the imputed righteousness of his son. He sees his son who has taken up uh, uh, his, his abide there. Uh, and the Holy Spirit which has taken up refuge there. Uh, and that's what he sees. Lastly, to, to really demonstrate the power that Christ has over death, he's going to have one final. He's going to have one final interaction with death, isn't he? Paul wrote about it in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In heaven, we'll never know death, will we? We'll never know sickness. We'll never know any type of corruption. It is only a place of joy and eternal rest, isn't it? And that's what Jesus said to those that were not saved. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, all of those of you that 
that grind away and slave away trying to construct your own righteousness. Come unto me, all ye that are laboring or heavy laden, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. And that rest is not just rest for a short period of time. That rest is eternal, isn't it? In the heavens, in the presence of God. And we'll stand around the throne of Christ and we'll worship God in a way that we can't even conceive of in this world. Because the flesh hinders us here, doesn't it, in our worship. It won't hinder us at all there. Because that flesh that we'll have will have never known sin. Isn't that amazing to think of? And all of it is done because Christ is the conqueror of death, isn't he? Christ is the conqueror of death. I'll close with this. I went to I went to Brother Mitchell's I didn't go to the funeral, I went to the day of the funeral to the visitation. I got there about nine o'clock and and uh, didn't know what state to find the family in, but they were all in, in pretty good spirits when I was there at that time. And had a conversation with Sister Marie. And uh, told her, I said, you, you, you look like you're, you're doing good. You're, you're handling it well. And she said, well, when you know they're in heaven, there's not much to mourn. There's not much to mourn. Well, that's, that is the goal, isn't it? If you're here today and you aren't saved, when you, God forbid, should something happen to you, we're certainly not wishing in anything, any ill will on anyone, but that the world, the world is a world of trouble. And things happen every day where people unexpectedly are called before the Lord. You don't ever want to have that happen and not have already known the Lord. You want to know him while it is day, because the night come there's night night night's coming when no man will work. And so I was talking to her and she she we were having a conversation about death and I said, you know, I said uh, David really kind of changed my purview on the acceptance of death. Because it's going to happen, isn't it? And along those lines, I think David is one of the prime examples of how one reacts when they know where one is gone after they die. When the baby that had, that was conceived with Bathsheba, whose name is not even recorded that I'm aware of, when the baby who was conceived with Bathsheba died, prior to its death, David mourned, didn't he? He mourned the death of that child before that child actually died because he was he was seeking God's uh, petition or he was bringing his petition before God that the child might live. And when the child died, David accepted it, didn't he? And David said, he can't come back to me. I must go to him. He recognized that, that where the child went, Conversely to that, 
And, and that child, Jesus, has, is the conqueror of death. And as it said in the 29th verse, be raised to the, be raised unto righteousness and the resurrection of, right, of the righteous. Then David had another child die, didn't he? His son Absalom died. And after Absalom died, David was inconsolable. And you say, well, why was David inconsolable when Absalom died? And why was he why was he accepting of the death of the child, the baby? In both instances, he responded appropriately because he knew where each was going. If you're here today and you're lost, you got a mom and a dad. The last thing they want to do is have to mourn over you the way David mourned over Absalom. Christ is the conqueror of the grave. But before we ever go to the grave, Christ has made a way whereby we can know him. And when we go to the grave, have the assurance that the one that has the power over hell and the grave, the one who holds the keys to hell and death, the one who conquered death, we can know without a shadow of a doubt we'll see him with our eyes. There's a great comfort in that, isn't there? There is a solace in that that is the world really can't describe. Um, and uh, and so that is something that's irreplaceable. What is it? What is it that is recorded in John? Jesus can't say Jesus stating that he came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why? Because we're all going to face death, aren't we? And we're all going to stand before the one who conquered death the enemy that entered into the world when man ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, isn't he? And there's no other way that we can come before the Father except through the Son. Because if you're here today and you're lost, we would just encourage you we would actually implore you to seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul. We don't know what the future holds, do we? But I'll tell you right now, we know who holds the future. Brother Williams, if you've got a song, we're going to stand and sing.